0: Um, it's great to see you. I'm, I, it's a great picture of you. I'd love to see your face at some point. But, um, it's going to happen. Um, I, uh, I'm Charlie Parker. I'm a very grateful alcoholic and uh, super happy to be here. There's a lot of funny stories that came out of that trip to Cayman, uh, Cayman Islands. You know, it's funny because it me and Katie and Teresa's going to be there. and We're doing a workshop and everything. And I it, guess like, it's, it's going to be good to get to know Teresa better, you know, because we'll be hanging out this whole weekend. So we get there and they said, We got a condo for you uh, that's right on the water. And we're like, Oh, awesome. And they take us and they show us our condo. One of the members there had, had this condo. And they're showing us in the bedroom, the kitchen, and everything. And we go, uh, I go, So uh, where's Teresa stand? And he goes, In that bedroom right there. I was like, Oh, damn. We really are going to get to know Teresa this weekend. <laughs> but it was, it was a big time. And her and Katie together, that's a uh, that's a lot like getting a drink out of a fire hose, you know. It's a, it was, it was a, it was a good time, you know. I'm super happy to be here. My sobriety day is March twenty second, nineteen eighty five, and I'm truly grateful for that. We're in a dark period. Some of you guys heard about little blushing bride, uh, Katie, here a few weeks back, and uh, you know, this is a dark period of the year in our house where. Uh, my wife has a year more than I do. My wife is sober five months longer than I am. And uh, October 28th, she rolled over to 36 years, and I'm still in 35. And, and she makes a really big deal out of it. You know, there, there are times when she'll say, if I'm struggling with something, she'll say, honey, just stick around for about five more months. and It'll start to make a lot more sense to you. you know? <laughs> and, uh, but you know, AA is alive and well in our house. My home group is the primary purpose group of Alcoholics Anonymous. In Austin, Texas, um, we meet on, we have our live meeting tonight. In fact, I stayed home from the home group tonight to be with you guys, and Katie's chairing it. And, and then we used we were having a Zoom meeting on Tuesday night, and it got to be so big that we moved the Zoom meeting to Wednesday night. So uh, at some point, I'll put the information for the Zoom meeting in the chat, but we've been running several hundred people on a Wednesday night, studying the big book, and it's, it's really a, a cool thing my sponsor now is Myers R and before that my sponsor my uh, deceased sponsor was Mark Houston and so if you don't hear me say anything else tonight hear me say get a hold of some Mark Houston recordings and li- and listen to it it'll change your life it'll make you want to be a better AA and when you get to his 11th step you'll go god what happened to Charlie you know he didn't he didn't, he didn't go as deep as Mark but I I, I, I can't even tell you the way Mark changed our lives, and I just I want to thank Ollie and everybody who had anything to do with putting this on. It's been a lot of fun working. our way. but you know the funny thing is, you know, in this meeting we're going to talk about experience a lot, and and I, but I got I'm going to cover a little ground because one of the things is what Katie and I do a lot of workshops, and and before I go any further, I want to ask you to be uh, generous with my voice. I uh, my I'm due for a throat surgery December 14th, and we we know enough to know that it's not cancer, but if you can bear with it, I can make it through the hour, but I won't be hitting any high notes at any point uh, during, <laughs> during this talk, you know, but just about as good as it's been this whole year, but I haven't talked in a minute. I've been resting my voice, so I'm looking forward to, I love talking about AA, and I love being with people that like to talk about AA, you know, so, but, you know, the funny thing is, Katie, when we do workshops, Katie usually does step 11, you know, I do one, we both do three, we do a lot of four and five, I do a lot of the man's process and I like the 12th, but anyway, so so I'm a little off my game, you know, talking about the 11th step, but I'm gonna talk about it, you know, like what I do and and why I do it and how I got to this point. So if you'll bear with me, if I can have a little attitude before I get to the 11th step, I just wanna talk very briefly about my early experience in AA because I've, I've been in AA for uh, 35 years. And, and for me, it's almost like what it was like, what happened, then what happened, and what it's like now, because I've had a lot of varied experiences in, in the, as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and work in the program at different levels and that sort of thing, you know? And so my early experience in AA, the shortest version of it is to say, that I basically, I didn't know it, but I was working a program like the problem was alcohol. And it seems reasonable enough that an Alcoholics Anonymous would be talking about alcohol. But I mean, for a long time, I was just, I was trying to stay sober. And you know, if I didn't drink, I'd get an A and, and I worked the steps to the best of, best of my ability with the sponsor. And I made you know some amends and that sort of thing. But I mean, there was some prayer. I'd do a 10th step if I really fouled up. But as far as the 11th step went, there was prayer in the mornings, very little evening review. And like on a good day, I'd have the 24 hour day book on the back of the toilet. And, and on a good day, I would open it up, read it for the day. And I might as well have read it and gone, OK, God, see you tomorrow. And I'm out the door working a program, you know, working on self-will. And I don't even know it. And, and I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble, you know, and, and things were kind of. I'm hitting walls in sobriety, I hit a wall at four and a half years, I hit a wall at seven years, I hit a wall at 17 years, and, and, and the shortest version is at about 17, because I hit a wall at four and a half years where I, I blew up a, a marriage, you know, and, and so I waited the appropriate amount of time to get into another relationship, right? Sixteen days, and and I'm and I, and next by the time I'm at seven years, I've blown up another marriage, and I can't figure out why my life ain't going the way I want it to go. And I'm doing, I'm doing all this as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I go banging along, and in about seventeen years, there was a lot of other things going on in my life that. Uh, but the main thing, the big motivator, was I was in a plane crash one night. Right, we had flo- we had chartered a plane. To fly from eastern long island back into new york city and the engine quit we crashed into the water and came real close to dying i was on cnn with anderson cooper and all this stuff so i mean it was a big motivator to, to look at doing this program at a different level you know i mean because there's a lot of stuff that had been going on in my life that i'm gonna change i'm gonna i'm, I'm, I'm fixing to, probably start doing this differently. I'm gonna get out of this deal. I'm gonna do less of that, more of this. I know this probably doesn't apply to any of y'all, but there was a time, And then all of a sudden I almost died and it changed my perspective on a lot of things. And I come back to Austin and I started getting real interested in working the program on a different level. And at that time I had 12 step, one of my best friends, a former sponsor, 12 stepped him into treatment, he'd had a little pill problem, he was taking 125 Vicodin a day, and uh, turns out that's at least one too many, but uh, when he went to treatment, there was this one-eyed guy there that some of you know named Chris R, And, and Chris lit a fire under Tom, and next thing you know, our conversations are changing. And, and we're having different conversations. And now we're talking every morning about what do you do when they say this? Well, that's when I go to this. That's when I'm talking about this. You ever heard of the Bedell No, where are they? Well, they're all, what are they? They're on page 52. What do they say? You know, and, and we're having these kind of conversations and it's, you know, we're both ramping up and starting to work with people. And I get hooked up with Myers, but, uh, And uh, I went through the steps with Myers, and that's when we got the whole primary purpose group thing going. And about that time where I'm really trying to do the deal, uh, a guy asked me about a big book workshop in Dallas and I, and I got hold of this flyer and it said, Mark H and this other guy are doing a big book experience weekend in, in Denton that weekend. Now, you know, on page 100, it says, when we look back, we see that the things which came to us when we placed ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. I said that for a long time. In fact, I used to close talks with it because I thought it sounded spiritual and badass, you know, and it was, I'd probably said it 50 times before I saw the piece that said, when we look back, we see that the things that came to us when we placed ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Because I can't see it on the front end. It's only on looking back, because I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times when on the front end, Am I the only one that thinks I can get myself a little bit better deal than God's going to give me? You know, I mean, does that, have, you know, where it's like, I, cause in my mind, when I think of God's will, I don't always go to joy and abundance and fulfillment and happiness and, and a life of purpose and value. It, it, it thinks I'm going to get the short end of the stick. If I do here, whatever it is, it's definitely not going to involve a ton of cash and, and, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, And so, but when I look back, I see these things happening. And man, looking back on that weekend with Mark, Mark had been silent for three years. He hadn't given a talk in three years. And it was like God picked me and Katie up and moved us 230 miles away and moved Mark out of this deal and put us together in a weekend because he knew we were in trouble. You know, there was a lot going on. There's a lot of other talks where I can talk about the stuff that was going on. But I mean, when I started working with Mark, man, all of a sudden, it was like step one meant something way different than I thought it or different than I thought it meant. And step three meant something way different than I thought it meant. For a long time, step three was just about, you know, God, and do you believe in God, and, and that sort of thing. Well. And I'm trying to go as fast as I can. I swear to God, I'm gonna get around the eleven-step, Ollie. So it's just, it's it. But the biggest mistake that was made in my program back then was we skipped right from, you know, an A, B, C at the end of how it works. We skipped right from there to the third step prayer, and I think it's I used to be embarrassed to talk about it, till I realized how much company I have. It's all over. AA. People that are like, "Are you alcoholic?" Do you believe in God? Then let's get you down on your knees and do a third step prayer. And I start writing the inventory. I don't know what I'm looking for. My first inventory was kind of like a big confession. And then when you get to six and seven, it was like, whatever. And, and then, you know, I went out and made some amends to some people. And, you know, the, I call them the tornado amends. The, the first people touched by the tornado in my life. And then the rest of them, uh, let's just say I was amazed before I was halfway through you know and and uh, so now you know I start looking at this deal and in skipping from C to the third step prayer you skip this body of work in pages 60 to 63 and it's really not that important it's just the root of my problem and the basis of my recovery for the rest of my life you know other than that, Just skip it you know and and so I can't figure out why I'm bashing into walls all the time and I'm always in jackpots and I'm overdrawn at the bank and I can't get along with people and I can't form a successful relationship because I'm working the program like the problem was alcohol and so when he introduced this self piece that it talks about in 60 or 63 it was huge where all of a sudden selfishness self-centeredness is the root of my trouble now that's what we're looking for, you know? Now that's what I'm looking for in inventory. You know, I just picture the guy going, so what do you mean selfishness and self-centeredness? And they go, well, let's look at the common ways it shows up, we look at it, resentment, fear, sex instincts, you know, that sort of thing. So now everything changes. But when we get over there to the, to the third step prayer, I don't have time to talk a whole lot about the self piece tonight, but I, I talk about it a lot. You know, in fact, my sponsors probably think I've only read three pages out of the big book. Because you know, we live in those places, you know, but but you get over here and when you get to uh, after we've done, what do we mean? What do we do? When we get to the third step prayer, it comes to the deal that we make in step three. And it's real simple. The deal we make, in, I call it the deal. It says we're going to quit playing God. I'm no longer in management. And then the terms of the deal are real simple. It says God will give me what I need under two conditions. If I stay close to him and perform his work well. Now, this didn't, I didn't catch this for a long time, but from there on out for the rest of the book, there ain't nothing else. Everything we do, is, I call it the pivot point in the book. Everything in the book up to page 63 leads to that decision, that deal, and everything from there on forward refers back to that deal. So, so it, you know, the terms of the deal are stay close to him and perform his work well. Everything we do from then on out is either about staying close to him or performing his work well. And it says, if I do that, he'll hook me up. And he's been doing a really kick-ass job of holding up his end of the deal.
1: Well, it changed
0: everything, you know? And so, I mean, but the thing is, it turns out I can't stay close to this power until I get close to this power and I can't get close to this power when I'm blocked. So this whole vigorous course of action, this four through nine thing is about getting unblocked. The things that are blocking me from this power that I've admitted is the only shot I got, you know? Because I got this pipeline between me and God and my pipes all clogged up with resentment and fear and guilt and remorse and shame and and selfishness and, and all the things. So we're just gonna, in inventory, and, and eight, six, seven, eight, nine, we're gonna to try to unplug it enough that there's some flow of power between me and this God. I call it a golf swing. That four through nine, you gotta do the whole swing. Actually, that's Katie's best line, but I use it a lot because a lot of us will do four and five and it's like stopping halfway through. But When you turn it into four or five, six and seven, eight and nine, then roll, then we're getting unblocked. And that's what I'm gonna be doing for the rest of my sober life. I hope, you know, because I don't know, my first boss was like, you only ever write one inventory. And I'm like, you know, I was like, fine. You know, I don't, I didn't enjoy the first one that much, you know, but I mean, while it's true that if you did a thorough inventory, took it all in, made all the amends, and then every day watched yourself in the 10th step, took it in the evening view, took those corrective measures in the morning prayer and meditation. You'd never have to write another four-column inventory. And if you do that, we will build a statue in your honor in front of the general service <laughs> office in New York, because most of us could tell you a couple of things that bug me a little bit you know, or a couple of things that irritate me. You know, the ego's a shapeshifter, so So it's, if it's if resentment's bad, I change it to it just irritates me a little bit. You know, I've had to do a bugs me inventory, you know, before. And so, but you know, now when we come out of this thing unblocked, we come up, you know, after we show up in the disciplines of steps 10 and 11. And, oh, my God, the first time I spent a weekend with Mark Houston, he kept talking about, about living in the spiritual disciplines of 10, 11, and 12. When I'm practicing the strict spiritual disciplines of 10, 11, and the strict spiritual disciplines and the disciplines, of the, and you are sitting there going, oh, my God, You know, just, please stop, because I wasn't even living in the same area code as the strict spiritual disciplines of steps 10 and 11. So, I mean, that first weekend, I'm just going to come real with it. That first weekend that I spent with Mark, I meditated more in that three day weekend than I think I had in my first 17 years of sobriety. Of actual silent focused meditation and working with Mark changed my whole life and the lives of me and Katie and that sort of thing. You know, So now we look, we show up here and it's a whole different game, man. And I mean, uh, well, when we get over, to page 85, it says much as already been said about receiving strength, inspiration and direction from him who has all power. If we have carefully followed directions, right? One of the biggest promises in the book to me is back on page 29, where it says further on, clear cut directions are given, showing how we recover. I love the idea of clear cut directions if you're sick as I was when I got here. So if I've carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of God's spirit into us. That's huge, man. I mean, how's that for a promise? Actually, starting to sense the flow of God's spirit into me, you know, and, and it says to some extent we have become God conscious. I, I love that, you know, because I had a sponsor call up one time and he goes, What, what do they mean by God consciousness? You know, what are you what are you talking about? Improving your God consciousness. How's your God And I said, well, you know, this is the example that came to me. We had just gone to Australia. Now, don't get the wrong idea. Teresa and I are talking about being in Grand Cayman. This thing was in Australia, but it ain't always like that. Sometimes you're in armpit Indiana or undershirt Iowa, but this time we happened to be in in Sydney, Australia uh, for two weeks. And it was, oh God, it was James Lee, me and Katie, Bob Desons, Gail LaCroix, uh, um, lots of other people. But we spend two weeks in this van with, I'm gonna say, with Bob, you know, and some of you might know Bob B from Minnesota. He's an old dear friend of mine. But you know, we're two weeks in the van and during those two weeks we're talking and we're talking, I'm talking to Bob and I'm talking to Bob about his kids and I'm talking to Bob about his work and I'm talking to Bob about his problems and I'm talking to Bob about his, his world. And when I get home, I start wondering, I wonder how that deal worked out with Bob. I think I'm gonna call Bob. You ever had the experience where you met somebody for a while and you call on the next day? I said, I had an increased Bob consciousness you know, so after spending some time with him, I had this more of a consciousness of, of uh, well, that's the same thing we're doing in 11, is trying to increase my consciousness of God. where God's not just this, this theory, this, you know, because what happens for guys like me is God consciousness starts to drop down. Self-will rises up and before long, God doesn't have anything to do with the equation. I'm running completely on self-will. And I think I'm still believing in God and stuff, you know? So I'm I'm the guy that's going, oh yeah, man, God's awesome. I love God, you know, thank God for God. You know, I mean, God got me over my drinking problem and everything, but I don't need him for this deal here. You know, I don't need him for this thing with my wife. I don't need him for this thing, you know, with, with the IRS. I don't need him for this thing, you know, at work. with you know we do an exercise sometimes that we call uh current agnosticism i got a group of men that's been meeting at my kitchen table for
1: a lot of years and one of the
0: exercises we do pretty regularly is this thing we call current agnosticism and it's a powerful exercise that we do And, and the way it starts off is everybody writes down two or three things that are giving them trouble right and then we all read those and then we talk about three areas of our lives that we're not bringing God into. What areas of my life have I not involved God in? And uh, uh, and then we go around and share that, and it's usually the same list. Now, I remember one time the boys from Colorado were here, we we're getting ready to go to this men's conference the next weekend, and one of these guys, he'd never done that carnagosticism exercise with it. And we get to him, he's a good guy too, He's 27 years sober, and he goes, man, he goes, three areas of my life that I'm not involved in God in are my kids, my job, and my marriage. And we're like, but other than that, nothing big, right? You know, I mean, and and that's how subtle it happens, and that's what a wake-up call that current agnosticism exercise can be, because, you know, the other day, I started realizing that I had a great fear about Katie, you know, that I, I'm finally in a relationship with somebody I want to spend every day of the rest of my life with. So next thing you know, we're 63 years old, and you start thinking, my God, what happens if something happens to Katie? And I'm carrying this around in subconscious levels and I realized I didn't bring God into that at all. You know, and, and it changes everything to, to put God right in the middle of that thing, you know? So, so um, you know, that's why I said, you know, it, it says, when um, I mean, you get over to 86, it says, uh, it would be easy to be vague about this 11 step thing, but we believe we can make some definite and valuable su- suggestions. And I mean, one of the amazing things to me is how powerful and effective the actual disciplines that come in, in the big book are, you know, and, 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 and I, I like to do that. And then there's a lot of other stuff that I'll do along with. It's just like church. Church is great along with AA, but not instead of You know, it's just I've seen guys do Eastern meditation. I've seen them, you know, do church, whatever it is, whatever, but a lot of things that take the place of my AA program always have a bad result. You know, but if I do this stuff along with my AA program, it's amazing how powerful it can be. You know, so I mean. We, we had those, all those instructions in the 10th step, you know, for evening, for watching and t- but the 11th step starts off with the evening review. And uh, it's funny, half, I'd say more than half the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you bring up evening review, they're gonna say, I'm glad we're talking about the 10th step. You know, I mean, and, and, and they don't mean anything by it, but in the 12 and 12, in the 10th step, it talks about all the kinds of inventory we do. It talks about the, Spot check inventory, the major house cleaning, and then it talks about the evening review last. And I think from that, a lot of people talk about evening review in the tenth step. But it's clearly in the eleventh step in the book, and it's super important, you know. Because when I've been doing this tenth step throughout the day, I really have to watch myself. I, you know, I don't know about you guys. I'm only thirty-five years sober. You know, I still I still need a lot of work, and, and, and I foul up on a regular basis. And uh, one of the biggest things in our marriage is do-overs. Thank God for do-overs. We haven't had to do one since last night, but but there are times when things will just blow up in our faces and we have to go, whoa, whoa, can we do a do-over on that one? And sometimes we'll actually roll the clock back and start the whole conversation over again. And because that went to a place neither one of us want to be living. I'm always I am. Katie and I are like the yin and the yin. We don't have a yang in our relationship, so it's two hard-headed fireball alcoholics. They can just blow up in your face in no time, you know. So the things it tells us to watch for in the tenth step, the things it tells me to watch for in the tenth step are the same things I'm looking at in the evening review. I'd done a bunch of Evening Reviews before I snapped to that. You know, when you get to the Evening Review, it says, uh, was I resentful? Was I selfish? Was I dishonest or afraid? Those are the four things we're looking for in the 10th step. And then ask me if I did the four things I was supposed to have done about it. Did I ask God to remove it? Did I talk to somebody else about it? Did I make amends if I need just... And it's basically looking back over my day, going, how'd you do out there, son? Did you do any kind of tenth step today? I mean, were you watching anything? Did you have? Any, did you call anybody after you had that blow up at the Sprint store? You know, and, and, and that sort of thing. And 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 when I, now I will say, one of the ones that has become really big for me under dishonesty is. I called up Mark Easter one day and I said, Mark, you know, every night it says, "Were you dishonest?" Uh, no. But next day, were you dishonest? No, were you dishonest? No, because I am just straight up lying to anybody. I said, well, you know, I'm starting to feel a little uneasy because there's a part of me that thinks they wouldn't have put it in the book if I wasn't going to encounter it, you know. And he goes, well, you know, Charlie, there's three forms of dishonesty. So tell me more. He says, well, there's lying, just straight up lying. And that's what one I've been looking at. He goes, there's lying by omission. Like, uh oh. Well, now that one I can work with a little bit. You know, there's a difference between lying and putting a little hair on a story, right? You know, I mean, sometimes if you believe, I can, I can tell a story where you might get a different impression than, than what's that. But then the one that blew me out of my chair was delusion. And delusion is where I'm lying to myself. And my God, that changed my whole 10th to 11th step discipline because all the time I'm seeing where I'm delusional. And, you know, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. One time I was writing inventory on a sponsee that bugged me. I don't know, this probably doesn't happen to you guys, but, I, you, know, and, 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 you know, in the second column, it was like, he, uh, he calls me all times of the day and night. He never asked me if I got time to talk, calls me in the middle of work day, just goes right into a story. He, I give him instructions, he doesn't follow them. He commenced to doing stuff, and then he doesn't show up, schedules inventory, a fifth step doesn't show up for it. My whole Saturday is blown, you know, and he doesn't, you know, and he completely self-centered and inconsiderate. And it affects my pride and my, my self-esteem and my ambitions and, and all this stuff. And when I get over it, and I'm looking at it from an entirely different angle in the third column, and then I get over in that exercise, I get over the fourth column and I start looking at delusion. And I'm talking about, I so I go, Charlotte, is it possible that it's delusional? To expect this newcomer not to act like a newcomer, you know, it's like what, what you just wrote in the second column is the definition of a new guy. You know, what I mean, it's like I'm expecting him to act, awaken before you finish the process. You know, and so I'm like, so it's a little delusional. How can I go back to being understanding and effective? and that sort of thing, I would spend a lot of time on how to be more understanding and how I be more effective. How could you approach me if the tables were turned? I spent a lot of time looking at, I could have been either guy in this beef, you know? You get out in the world and I, I go, I could have been the guy behind the counter, I could have been the customer, I could have been, you know, in the manager, I could, you know, but different perspectives and that stuff all the time, you know? and so. After I look back over that day, I'm really looking for where did I mess up, miss, and what corrective measures do I need to take into my next morning, you know? And it's it's amazing how many of my guys are real disciplined and sometimes, and myself too sometimes. I'm more disciplined about prayer and meditation in the morning than I am about evening review. And I'm starting to believe if I was only gonna do one of them, evening review would be the one to do. And because, you know, it's easy for me to, you know, get up at you know, five o'clock in the morning and drink coffee and read spiritual books and stuff like that. But actually carrying this stuff through the day and seeing what it's like to be around Charlie and what how's the self-peace showing up for Charlie and that sort of thing, it, it changes everything, you know. And so a couple of other things I wanna talk about real quick, you know, when it's on, the, on awakening, Katie and I used to just pull a couple of pillows out from under the bed and turn to page 86 and follow those instructions line by line, you know? And if it said, think about something, we'd think about it. If it said, pray about something, we'd pray about it. And and, and it, it was amazing. Now it's kind of ingrained in me. But this on-awakening exercise just, I mean, it happens like, a lot of times while well, I'm still flat on my back, you know? And I, you know, I consider the 24 hours ahead and what do I have going on? And I don't know about you guys, but I wake up in, in doubt a lot, you know. Uh, it's kind of funny, Daddy Brown called me one day, you know, he goes, Charlie, you know, it says we pause when agitated or doubtful. I said, yeah, and he goes, I know when I'm agitated. I said, yeah, he goes, I'm hardly ever doubtful, you know. <laughs> it's like often wrong, but, Never in doubt, you know. <laughs> and, you know, And so now I'm looking at this thing and, and I, I can't determine which way to go. And I actually, whenever it says we ask God, it's always a prayer. And I am asking for inspiration, an intuitive thought, a decision. And I really do that stuff on big, some big problems, I mean, some big stuff that I don't know what to do about. Now, it's funny, when you get over and it says our thinking will be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We're reading that part one time, and Mark, it says we usually conclude the, the this period of meditation with a prayer that we show. And, and Mark goes, which indicates that we've meditated. And I said, no, man, I think it means what we just did is meditated. And this is a really big thing. We use a dictionary at my home group, and some of the words have really changed in meaning, in meaning since the 30s. When we looked up meditation one time, and you know, meditation changed a lot in the 60s, You know, with uh, Eastern influence and Ravi Shankar and Ram Das and, and all these guys. But back when Bill and Bob and those guys were doing, I looked it up in an old 1930s dictionary and it said, deep thought, so think abstractly. And I checked this one out. It said, as a general meditates a battle. I'm like, what? So, if I'm a general meditating on a battle, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to send our troops in this way from the front, but we're going to send guys around this way and around this way so we don't get flanked. And if we start to here, we'll fall back this way. And it's the same thing I'm doing with my day in that on awakening exercises. I'm thinking, what kind of problems am I going to run into? Do I know how to handle it? Can I ask God to help me with it? And then, you know, and it says, we ask to be shown all through the day. What our next step is to be that I be given whatever I need to take care of such problems. This sounds really nerdy, but I looked up such in the dictionary one time, and it says it means as previously mentioned, right? So the problems that just a paragraph ago, I didn't know how to handle. When I get over here, I'm saying, God, please give me what I need to take care of those problems. That thing I got going with that big contract at work. And that thing with the guy that's talking about quitting, and that thing with my that's talking—you know—all those things that I don't know exactly how to handle, you know, and, and you know, it, so it's, um, it, it's, it's a really big deal, and, and it is has really changed. And I, and I want to get to the last part of this, because um, there's an acronym I use down in '87 in the eleventh step. I use eleven going throughout the day a lot, and I call it PARS. I have an acronym P A R S. Like PARs on a golf course. I pause when agitated or doubtful. I ask for the right thought or action. Constantly remind myself I'm no longer on the show. And I'm saying to myself many times each day, Thy will not mind be done. Pause, ask, remind, say. The crazy thing about it is, I mean, well, the practices i do in the in the in the mornings itself they're not that elaborate i get up in the morning i mean you're asking for my experience so i'm going to tell you what i read you know i i'm i'm a christian i read a lot of western stuff and uh, it's funny i mean you can talk about anything you want and but if you mention jesus you can feel the whole room pucker up but <laughs> but, but you know it's like we can be buddhist hindu sufism american indian but, you know, did he say Jesus? You know, but, but I read, I read a couple. I read Jesus calling in the morning, which really doesn't even bug you that much if it's if you're not into Jesus, because it's written. But and I read around the year with Emmett Fox, and I read some other stuff. I'm reading the Four Laws of Love right now, and 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 that sort of thing. But this is all stuff that I do in the morning, and then I'll do some silent meditation. I use a I'm sure a lot of you have heard of Insight Timer, but it's a little app on my phone that I can do three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. I can do guided meditations and stuff like that. But I mean, on the days I'm busiest is when I really need to, to to make sure to do it, you know. Because I don't know about you, am I the only one that, that gets up and goes? You know what? I don't have time for that day crap right now. I got serious stuff at work, you know, and that's when I need to go. Whoa, killer! Set it back down here, you know, because. I'll charge out the door and next thing you know, I'm wandering the aisles at Home Depot or Costco, you know, killing time that I you know. So it's, my focus isn't always the best, but you know, the reason I'm talking about all this stuff is because it really works, you know? I mean, and and it it has changed my whole life as a sober. The last 18 years of my sobriety have just been so different than the first 17 years were. You know, I I want to tell you one funny story. One time I was sitting at the table with my boys, and we're talking about this stuff, and I said, you know, guys, uh, I must be a really awesome sponsor. And they're like, oh, where's this going? And I go, because obviously none of you guys have experienced selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, or fear in the last two weeks. I've sponsored you to the point where that's not happening for you. Either that, or you're doing ten steps with somebody else about it. And I, yeah, we're not, we're not doing it with anybody else. And it's okay to do it with other people. But and, and I go, now look at this. Look, we like to think of ourselves as a little pocket of enthusiasm. You got one in here, you know. Bob Bazan says that's Charlie's term for people that are doing it right. But I was like, we like. to, I go, yeah, yeah, kind of is, you know. And then. Uh, But I go, we like to think of ourselves as a little pocket of enthusiasm here, getting together and and trying to be one voice, one message, whoever you're talking to. Look how hard it is to get us to work a basic fundamental AA program. I'm not talking about AA 301 or anything like that. It's like, and so it's like, You know, forget saying to ourselves, constantly reminding ourselves we're no longer running the show. How about occasionally reminding ourselves we're no longer running the show? You know, saying to ourselves many times, how about saying to ourselves once a day, Thy will not be done? You know, how much better would my life be if I was really making an effort to practice a basic fundamental. AA program. I got to tell you, we, we had a meeting the other day and, and one of my boys that I was sponsoring in Colorado, I picked him up when he had 19 years and he was telling his story to us. And he says, you know, I, I hooked up with Charlie and, and the, y'all's crew and I really you know started, I was 19 years sober and he says, I, really, I started doing AA on an advanced level. And he goes, and the thing is, advanced AA is really basic. I'm Charlie, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs>